Right, Shabbat Shalom. All right, so uh, got a little boo boo in the uh, in the bulletin this week. Uh, even though Eric Cameron and I all share some similar stature, similar beard and hair color, uh, Cameron will not be uh, doing the first five this morning. We have the shorter, more muscular version of us, and Stephen Drew's doing the first five. So. Uh, you know, just so you, in case you were confused at all, um, I have been working out, but I'm, I'm not near there yet. So, uh, <laughs> welcome to HFF. I uh, wasn't working out this morning, because uh, of course it's a Sabbath day, and so I'm resting, and you don't have to tell me twice. Uh, right, Brian laughed at that. Um, <laughs> yeah, Brian laughed at that. I want to give you guys a couple of quick announcements. Uh, we're just going to keep reminding everybody about the Love Your Our Neighbor event that we're doing on August 3rd. On August 3rd, we will not be having an HFF service here. Uh, we'll be inviting all of our attendees to join with us in the afternoon at uh, Betami in the city uh, to do a Love Your Neighbor service. So uh, we're going to just cancel our service for that Shabbat, let you sleep in, and then hopefully you'll join with us uh, in a uh, corporate time of worship and study up at Betami on August 3rd. Um, that's uh, the congregation that's uh, overseen by the Stallsworth family. Want to let everybody know about our next men's attack. I know it's cheesy. I came up with it, and I'll, I'll own it. The next men's attack is Real Men Don't Retreat meeting, and that's going to be August 4th, which is a Sunday from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. This is uh, taking the place of our men's prayer breakfast, and so this is something that we want to invite all teenagers, young adults, and men's together. Every month it's going to be a little bit different, and so rather than meeting at the same location doing exactly the same thing, we're going to have a, a different male who's going to run that gathering. We're going to have about a five to ten minute devotional that the, uh, Cameron since he'll be doing the first one for us, we'll do on the topic. We'll have a time of prayer, and we're going to have fellowship. It's going to be at Gray Owl Coffee Shop, which is uh, in uh, Norman on uh, Gray Street, I believe. Um, is it Gray Street? Yeah, it's Gray Street. And uh, coffee will be provided. There's a patio area in the back, and so uh, we'd like to invite you to come and be a part of that. The one in September will be hosted by Daniel Musson, and whenever it gets around to my turn, we're going to Top Golf. Yes, we will pray at Top Golf, but uh, and we'll have a fellowship time. I will do something about the longest yard and the trip out of Egypt for the men's devotional, but we'll also hit some golf balls. So time of fellowship, time of prayer. Uh, it's okay to have fun uh, when we come together. And so uh, every month we're going to have a, a different male lead that for us and a time for that, uh, which means, ladies, you need to step up your, your mother's game uh, when you all get together because you guys are doing like fondue and all kinds of fun stuff. Well, now we're going to do all kinds of fun stuff together uh, and have fellowship time uh, for the Lord. 
Uh, a real life, real family life marriage group is going to meet next week, the 13th and the 27th at the Foster's Home. There's more information in the bulletin. We also just added a work day. Uh, that's going to be this Thursday, correct? This upcoming Thursday, what time does it start, Stephen? At 12 o'clock? Okay. The coordinators are coordinating on the fly. And so 12 o'clock this coming Thursday, uh, the Druze's neighbor, we've done some work for them, helped them out in the past. They are moving. They need to get some stuff out of the garage, out of their house, uh, and so some dump runs, some stuff like that. So uh, we're going to have a church work day on Thursday for those of you who work. Uh, if you can even pop over for 30 minutes on your lunch break or even contact Stephen about maybe there will still be there uh, after work. Um, but we could greatly use any help that we can, uh, obviously being a witness to uh, Stephen's neighbor and uh, the things that they need around their house. Uh, I want to remind everybody that um, we have a new website, uh, hff.churchhebraicfamily.com. We are updating throughout the week. So the bulletin was already printed for this week when we found out about the workday. But we are able to on the fly. Uh, get that done and have it up there. It has information on the address. It has contact information for everybody. And it's a good reminder for those who do want to stay engaged in some of the other things that we're doing. Either the 20th or the 27th after service, we're going to have a blessing shower uh, for uh, Kayla Diffie. So we're going to nail that date down a little bit, but uh, obviously like to bless uh, her and their family as they're getting ready to uh, welcome a little girl uh, into the Diffie household. My understanding that this is the first girl in many generations uh, under the Diffie name. So um, I have a feeling she's going to get uh, she's going to get a lot of spoils because my first daughter got spoiled rotten by my mom as well. So, um, but everybody have a good week. Only some of you had a good week. Some had an awesome week. Well, we have some special guests with us. They've been here once before, all the way from Puerto Rico, coming to hang out with Brian and Roxanne for three weeks. And so we're uh, blessed to have you guys back. Welcome. Uh, make sure when we're getting to the Oneg part, you guys hang out with all the rest of the kids out there and run around. And so let's go ahead, stand up, say Shabbat Shalom to somebody. We're going to go ahead, get into a time of praise and worship and uh, get our service started.
Like a river you will flow 
you in the sunlight I feel you in the breeze I hear you in the silence And the mystery So we open up my heart I'm longing to believe Teach me to receive Awake my soul Awake my soul Like a river you will flow Like a river you will flow Awake my soul
you and, and, and sing your name. We sing this to you as there is no other. Steady, then help is held in your hand. 
castles crumble When death is dreaming Upon this rock I will stand Upon this rock I will stand
conquered death. You have defeated the prison of sin that held us captive. You have been raised from the dead by the hand of the Almighty. You alone, Yeshua, Master, Savior, and King, are ruler and sovereign over all of creation. And you will sit on your throne and all nations will bow their knee to you and confess you as Lord. And we do the same today. We confess you as our Lord, as our Savior, as our Master. And we praise you for the mighty works that you have done that we might enter into your presence. Thank you, Yeshua. 
Shabbat Shalom. How many of you believe that we are in his presence right now? Amen. And as Daniel was praying, I was thinking, we just celebrated the independence of this nation. But don't we have much more to celebrate as far as our independence? We're no longer slaves to sin. As Daniel said, we're now free. So that is much more to celebrate than our nation's independence. All right, let me go through some things here. We've got a few prayer requests this morning. We've been praying for Joyce. It's been an up and down thing with Joyce. She is going to start, I think, her eighth week in the hospital. So you stop and think about that for a minute. Let that sink in, okay? Uh, how would you feel if you'd spent eight weeks in the hospital? But she's doing better. She's improving this week. She's still retaining some water, so they have her on and off of dialysis while they're taking care of that. But she actually got up and walked around some. And so, again, praise God. He, is, uh, he, has, some, he has something in mind here with her, and he's, he's doing what he, what he needs to do in her life and uh, those that are around her in the hospital. So keep praying for Joyce that... Uh, she will be able to go home soon and stay home and join us here again, okay? And Patrice had her knee replacement surgery, and if you looked at her Facebook page and saw her picture, it looked like she's got like a thousand staples in her leg. So, but she doesn't. It's only, I don't know, a hundred, I think. But anyway, it still looks terrible. But anyway, pray for Patrice. And her uh, that it that uh, it will heal quickly, and that uh, she can resume her life again, as uh, as God has intended for her to be. All right. Virginia is going in Monday to have her aortic valve replaced in her heart. Pretty serious surgery, so we need to be in prayer for Virginia. Uh, they're saying that she's probably going to be in the hospital anywhere from five to ten days after the surgery. She wasn't expecting that. She thought it was only going to be a couple. So be in prayer for Virginia as she goes in Monday for surgery, uh, for, for her, for all the surgeons and anesthesiologists and everybody else, nurses that's involved in that, that uh, and that God will have his hand. He is the great physician, so he's the one who's in charge of all that. And uh, Daniel's mom has been uh, dealing with uh, severe bronchitis this past week. And uh, she's doing some a, a little better. She can talk a little bit better, better I understand. But, so we need to keep praying for Ellen that, uh, that uh, God will take care of that, restore her voice. And her, she's been gone off work for a week, so we need to just remember to pray for her. Pray for Dan, uh, Ephraim. Camp Beshua starts in a week. And uh, that's a that's a massive undertaking. If you if you're any, any aware of several hundred kids who young young men and women who come to that camp, and uh, and he has that responsibility. He oversees that camp. So pray for him. Pray for all the other adults, the counselors that will be there. Pray for the young men and women who are coming to the camp. That God would be preparing their hearts even now. For what he wants to do in, at the camp with them, okay, uh, and for safe travel for them as they come also. 
And speaking of traveling, be in prayer for Monty as he's traveling, and Patrick, uh, he's traveling, he's visiting some family in Kansas. So be in prayer for them as they're traveling, and if you know anybody else who's traveling, a lot of people travel over the 4th of July weekend, be in prayer for them also. And then uh, I was just told that Nora has a severe throat infection. Uh, it might be strep throat. We're not sure, but you need to be, be in prayer for Nora, that God would take care of that and heal her of that also. And as always, be in prayer for the Middle East, for what's happening over there. It just seems like uh, there's something new every week that ex- escalates what's going on over there. So we need to be in prayer for what's going on over there. We know that God's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish over there. Okay? And what we want to do is we want to line up with what God wants to do there. So we, our prayers need to line up with that and, and, uh, and, and pray for that. But we need to be in, in prayer for Israel. Uh, always need to be in prayer for Israel and for the peace of Jerusalem, for the elections that are coming up in September, and all the other things that are happening over there. All right, so let me turn it over to you, and then I'll close this in a few minutes. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to come before you and to give you, to lift up to to you those that we care about, that we love, and that you have put upon our hearts. Thank you for what you're accomplishing in the lives of each of these people that we mentioned. pray that as they go through this their individual situation 
that they would know without a doubt that you are there with them, that you are walking with them through every step of what they're going through, that you will take them through it safely. Thank you, Father, that uh, we are no longer slaves to sin. That through Yeshua, we have that independence from that. And we now belong to you. I pray for the rest of the service this morning. For those who are coming to give the messages for Cameron, for Chris, that you would place your words into their heart. And the words that they speak might be yours. But we ask your spirit to guide and direct them, to lead them as they come. And as we get ready to bless the children, I pray that uh, each of those children who comes up here would recognize what is going on when they come up here and sit under the tallit and understand the blessing that is being said over them. And it might make a difference in each of their lives. Thank you for this Sabbath, this day that you've given us to come and to rest, to praise you, to give you the glory and the honor that only you are due. Help us to do just that, to spend this day with you. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, I can have all the children come up. always a blessing and privilege to see all of these beautiful young faces each each Shabbat to uh, pour out a blessing upon them. Let us go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day, Father, and we call you in heaven as a witness, Lord, as we have uh, put these children under the talit to pour out a blessing and a covering upon them. Father, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon them and upon their lives. Father, as they continue to grow and learn and are trained up in your ways, Father, I pray that they would develop a relationship with you. Father, I pray that this generation would not live their spiritual faith vicariously through their parents, but, Father, may it be personal to them. May they personally, in their own hearts, confess their faith in you. May they learn to grow and walk uprightly before you. Not leaning on a crutch, Lord, whether that be uh, someone else's faith, Lord, or the words and teachings of men, but, Father, by your spirit and by your faith in you, Lord, may they walk uprightly before you. So, Father, we pour out a blessing upon the sons. May them be as Ephraim and Manasseh as they continue to grow. May they be fruitful and multiply, Lord. And we pray for the daughters. May they be as Ruth and as Esther. Make them righteous daughters of Zion, Lord. 
Father, our first ministry is to our family, Lord, in all cases. For even these children sometimes serve their family and help their fellow siblings or help their mom and dad. Father, may that stay with them and may they continue to serve you in all things that they do. For, Father, we know that we are looking at future leaders of households, families, even ministries and communities, Lord. So, Father, may you pour out your blessing, guide them with your perfect will, and lead them with your Holy Spirit. Give them your heart, your mind, your emotions, Lord, as they go about their day and their lives. So, Father, we pray your kingdom come very soon and your will be done in all things. We pour out this blessing upon these children on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I'm Cameron. Just kidding. Typo. I'm Stephen. Um, anyway, so t- today um, we are in Korah. And guess who the story's about? Korah. Need I say any more? Should I just put down the mic and, and just go? Just mic drop? No, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the story. So the passage begins in, in chapter 16. And the portion goes all the way to the end of chapter 18. We'll just be covering kind of a short section here in the first part. And it says, And Korah, the son of Yitshar, the son of Kehath, or Kohath, the son of Levi, took Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliav, and On, the sons of Peleth, the sons of Reuben. They rose up before Moshe with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, called ones of the meeting, men of name, men of renown, And they assembled against Moshe and against Aaron and said to them, Enough of you. I'll stop right there. So, again, let me just give a little more context. So, Korah and leaders of the tribe of Reuben in particular, it mentions them for a reason, and I'll I'll mention that here in a little bit. But they were prominent men of name. They were leaders in the congregation. Granted, they didn't have as much, I guess we'll say, authority as Moses, but they still had authority. They still had status. This is the part of the story where we really notice kind of the tailspin of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Just before, a few chapters before, they had been given the bad report of them going into the land. They had it. That was, the, that was their, their gateway. All they had to do was to trust and just remember, oh yeah, oh yeah, the whole army was swallowed up in the sea. Oh yeah, we were slaves for 400 years and now we're free. Like, oh yeah, all the, all the miracles that have happened before, oh yeah, that can be replicated again for us as we go into the land. But they chose not to. And again, we see this slow degradation of the children of Israel, unfortunately. At least of that generation, of Korah's generation. I find it really interesting, and I won't read it all, but the, the very end of chapter 15 talks about making the tzitziot, or the... the uh, tassels at the ends of the garments. I don't wear them, and I probably should. But nonetheless, they were a reminder to keep the commands of the Yahweh, keep the commands of the Lord, and to not pursue after their own hearts. Maybe Korah was still in the middle of making his or something when this happened, because he really you know, could have done himself a favor if he had remembered to take hold of the commands of the Lord and not pursue his own heart. So Korah... He's suffering from discontentment and pride. As much as he may have denied it, 
basically what he's trying to do is as a leader, as he is setting himself up as a leader, he's, he's saying, oh, I'm going I'm to be a leader. I'm going to rise up and I'm going to throw down this leader Moses and I'm going to do it in the name of we're all going to be equal. We're all going to be on the same playing field. You know, we're all holy, but I'm going to lead you all in, in, in all of our equal holiness. So it's funny, though, too, because he, he accuses Moses essentially saying, you're, you're a terrible leader. I mean, Moses, he only led the children of Israel out of, you know, out of slavery, and he only you know, destroyed the golden calf after they were sinning, and he only is revealing them the truth of Yahweh. So Moses is, is I mean, they're, they're questioning Moses' authority in this way. And so Moses later on says, let's see, verse 5, this is in Korah and all the accompanies saying, Tomorrow morning, Yodivavish shall make known who is his and who is set apart, and bring him near to him, and let him bring him, let him bring him near to him, the one whom he chooses. Excuse me. And put fire in the fire holders, and put incense in them before Yodivavish tomorrow. And it shall be that the one whom Yodivavish chooses is the set apart one. And Moses says, Enough of you, sons of Levi. So it's funny, though, too, because we can see clearly that the Lord has set apart Moses for a reason. If we go back to Exodus chapter 20, verses 18, and this just gives a little bit of a context. If Korah was so invested in, you know, everybody being equal and set apart, he missed his opportunity here in, in Exodus chapter 20. Verse 18, it says, And all the people saw the thunders, the lightning flashes, the voice of the shofar and the mountains smoking. And people saw it and they trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moshe, you speak with us and we hear, but let, uh, let not Elohim speak with us lest we die. And Moshe said to the people, do not fear for Elohim has come near to prove you, giving them a chance to come close. In order that he, his fear be before you so that you do not sin. So the people stood at a distance, but Moshe drew near the thick darkness where Elohim was. Here's Korah's problem. He has a very jealous pride. And he wants to be in Moses' seat, and he wants to take it by force. But he's ignorant of how to be elevated in the kingdom of God. Back to the reasons behind you know, Korah's coup. It doesn't make sense because why would he go and gather together leaders of the tribe of Reuben? And again, it's more context on the tribe of Reuben. So remember the story about how Reuben, he sinned against his father and he was not elevated to the seat of the firstborn that was given to others. And yet, they, I, I believe, they feel entitled. They feel as though well, we're the eldest tribe. So we're going to get together with Korah and we're going to oust Moses so, again, that we can elevate ourselves, thus negating the, the premise that this is all so that we can be set apart before Yerevave. Moses was humble. He was more humble than any on the face of the earth. It's sad that Korah missed that, because it would have been clear as to why, you know, as to why Moses, he, Moses was so close to Yerevave. And he would have seen, Korah would have seen, that his current methods of trying to draw close to Yodivave were a complete failure. So, again, 
in this context, in this story? How does this apply to us? I think it's pretty simple. Do we see somebody else and we envy their status and we envy what they have, even if it's minute, but it's still there? Is what they have something that has been given to them by the Lord? Is what they have something that is necessarily not right for them to have, but but still they have it and we don't? And so we enshroud our, our anger against them as something spiritual. We enshroud our, our you know, covetousness as, you know what, they are, they are just too, they have too much power. They have, they're sinning against the Lord, they have too much power. We need to examine closely, you know, what, what the Lord has given them, you know, what they have for a reason. <clears throat> so again, if we look at how Moses behaved, as soon as, as soon as Korah came with his accusation, he fell on his face. He didn't puff himself up. He wasn't like, well, Korah, he did say enough of you, but I think <laughs> that, was, that was a little bit more, that was later on still. The very first thing that he did was he fell on his face. So again, Moshe is establishing how he draws near to Yahweh. He falls on his face, whereas Korah comes with pride and arrogance, come try, coming to try and cast him down. Let's be the same today. Let's elevate ourselves in, the, in Yahweh's kingdom by making ourselves low before him. Not fighting back with human standards, not fighting back in, in the way the world does. Because again, the world says, bring down those who have so that we can all have nothing. Or, the Lord says, humble yourself and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this Sabbath day. Father, we thank you for the weather, for family, for this time together as a fellowship, Father. For this community, Father, it's so encouraging to see so many people here today. Thank you, Father, for the blessing to be able to gather in this place. Thank you for our leaders, Father. Thank you for every single person. And we ask, Father, again, that your spirit and your power would move in the midst of us, Father. But again, may we be low before you so that you can inhabit these vessels, Father, not puffed up with something that's already inhabiting that space that you want to fill. We thank you now, Father, for again, for every single person here. May you be delighted to be here. In Yeshua's mighty name, amen. All right, repeat after me. Anointing triumphs talent. Anointing triumphs talent. All the time. This is pretty much one of the underlying elements to a lot of your Bible stories, is that anointing triumphs talent. Korah himself appears to be a great type A personality, probably would be a CEO of a company living on the West Coast. He'd be very, very involved in what happens. And yet, Moses was leading the Israelites before there was a leader position. Moses was serving before there was a CEO position. He wasn't in Tech Insider magazine. He wasn't in any of these things. Moses was doing the hard work when the lights were off. They were still slaves in Egypt when Moses was taking on the leadership role. He took on the leadership role because God called him. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, about another guy. Um, Actually, 
I normally try never to remember when Cora's Torah portion is. Unfortunately, it happened to fall today when I'm teaching. So thankfully, I'm not teaching on Cora. However, I am teaching on Gideon. Is it up there? Or do I look like a fool? Okay, good. It's up there? Awesome. Um, Gideon is another guy who he wasn't out there looking for. Thanks, Daniel. Gideon was not a guy who was out there looking for a leadership position. He wasn't somebody out there interviewing. He didn't have his LinkedIn page all certified. He wasn't paying the membership fee for LinkedIn. Gideon was just a guy out with a wine press threshing some wheat. If you uh, have your Bibles, if you have your phone apps that aren't open to Instagram, uh, go to Judges 6 with me. And interesting enough how the Father worked this, uh, Deborah taught last week, Deborah Wiley. She goes by Dr. Deb, but for the sake of the connection I'm going to make here, Deborah. The story of Judges 5 is actually the conclusion of Deborah going into Judges 6 where it starts to talk about the Midianites and Gideon and that whole entire story. So since Deborah came and talked last week about fear, it's going to be a little bit of an undertone of what I talk about this week uh, with Gideon. So, at the beginning of chapter 6 of the book of Judges, it says that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, we just came out of the Korah, where Korah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He tried to take a position, a mantle that was not his. Let me just tell you, take a mantle that's not yours, and you'll regret it every day of your life. I don't care whether it's the spiritual leadership of your house, it's somebody else's job, it's a pastor's position, a speaker's position. I don't care who you are. If you're going after a mantle that's not yours, you're in trouble. Sooner or later, it's going to catch up with you and you're going to end badly. So the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. And the hand of the Midian overpowered Israel. And because the Midian people of Israel made themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves. So basically, the Israelites were given over by God to the hands of the Midianites and they ran and hid. It was self-preservation at that point in time. They had their go bags, they had their deer carts, whatever. They took their ox, their cattle, everything, and they went to the hills. Self-preservation for their society, their people, protection of their families. And so, basically, during this seven-year period where God had given over the Israelites to the Midianites, they made a wasteland of the Promised Land. Everything was being destroyed, all of their riches, all of the things that God had given them before, they were being torn apart. There was a judgment coming on the Israelites at that point of time in the land. And when the people of Israel finally had enough, they cried out to the Lord on the account of the Midianites. And the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I have delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who have oppressed you. And drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Well, this is a reoccurring theme throughout scripture. They don't obey God. They're fearful of other gods. We saw this last week with the spies who were sent to to go see the land. Only two of the twelve actually came back with a report 
that, that the spies, or excuse me, that the, the giants in the land, oh, they were too fearful for us. We see that, that the people are scared of Elohim at the base of, of Sinai, and they say, Moses, you need to go for us. There's a reoccurring pattern throughout Scripture where God has to remind them, did I not just, like, move mountains? Did I not just, like, open up the heavens? Did I not just do things that are well outside of your power? He has to constantly remind his children, his people, that he is God. And that he's not some wimp. He's not some, like, just like, hey, I'm only a weekend parent. No, I'm, I'm constantly here. He has to constantly remind his people. Because even though they've seen miracles that I don't think I've ever actually seen with my own eyes. Of that magnitude. The splitting of the sea. The death of the firstborn. The audible voice of God at Sinai. On and on and on again. That they physically see with their eyes. They experience with their senses. And yet he has to constantly remind them. Am I not the same God who's taking you out of slavery? Just like we get in our own little mind, because, you know, our world is really hard. You know, Western culture, you know, real hard. I woke up this morning and I wasn't able to drive to the restaurant I wanted. And now my day is all ruined. Or I got a phone call or a text message from somebody that I didn't want. Or there's a misunderstanding and it's like, woe is me, woe is me. God, why does this always happen to me? These are, these are people who are literally hiding in caves. Like none of us are hiding. Like we're not hiding. We don't know what it's like to hide. I'm not even good at hiding and hiding and seek with my children. So we don't know what it's like to be in these types of scenarios right now. But even then, finally when we get to a point of despair with our situation and we cry out to God, He's like, I'm, what do you think? Do you think I wasn't with you the whole entire time? I've been here the whole entire time. You've chosen behavior that's distanced yourself from me. Kind of like you just turned your back. I'm still standing right here. I'm still a source of counsel to you. You turned your back. The old cartoon when I was growing up was there'd be a little angel on the shoulder of a, of a cartoon character and there'd be a little devil. And depending upon where they were going with the cartoon, you would either turn your head to the angel or to the devil based upon what counsel you were going to take. And when you turned your head to one or the other, your ear was away, your back was to them, and you were listening to them. Well, it's the same type of thing in this situation with the Israelites. They turned away from God, and so God delivered them into the hands of the Midianites for seven years to teach them a lesson. Some of us who are currently in a, a, a tough situation in our life, it's not maybe that you did anything wrong. It's maybe that you turned your back on God and he's got you in your seven-year trial period and he's got the Midianites coming to draw you back to God. It's very possible that you've stopped listening to the voice of God. I know I struggle with that from time to time. I struggle with listening to all kinds of wonderful scholarly teachers who knew far more about Hebrew language and ancient Near Eastern contexts and centuries and all things that are important, geographical locations. Ephraim did an exhaustive study on the 42 journeys in the wilderness. And you can listen to all those things, and then yet you can still be far from God because you haven't spent your own individual time with God, talking to God, asking God, okay, so what does this knowledge, what does this nugget, what does this teacher, what are you trying to teach me in this specific moment of my life? We've all had teachings that we've watched at one point in time in our life, 
and God has given us some sort of revelation from that. We go back and watch it after a period of time. In the same exact teaching, God gives us a different revelation from it. Why? Because ultimately, the scale and how we balance the scale in our spiritual life isn't about how smart somebody is or how great of a speaker they are or anything like that, how big their audience is. It's what is God using through that message for you in your specific life, your specific home, your specific relationship? And that's not going to be the same for every person. Now, it says the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. And if I mispronounce that, you can talk with me later. Actually, talk with Mussin. He's our complaint department. Which belonged to Josiah the Aborite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Midianites. So they're hiding even their own food. Not only are they hiding up in the caves, anybody who's been to uh, Israel, you also know there's these beautiful places in Petra as well, hiding places. A lot of people will believe believe that's where we're going to hide in the future. But in this specific situation, he is working and beating out the wheat to hide it from them, to have food, to have something to live off of. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. How many of you walked up to your buddy and like, you're a mighty man of valor? Not many, right? No. But the Lord said, you're a mighty man of valor. This is a guy who's hiding out in, in the woods, beating wheat. He said, you're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our father has recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of, up out of Egypt? And he's being a little condescending there. He's questioning. So the Lord is saying, hey, you're a man of valor. I'm, we're with you. And his first response is, yeah, okay, if you're with us, then how come I'm hiding out in the cave? Why am I hiding from these people? Did, did you not bring us out of Egypt so we could hide? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of, of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? So he's just randomly out there hiding one day, working in the field, minding his own business, and all of a sudden God's like, hey man, I need you to go back and, uh, and kick some butt. Yeah, yeah, you go, you're going to kick some butt. Lexi, what would you be doing if you are just hanging out at school one day and the angel of the Lord showed up to you and was like, hey Lexi, I need you to go, to, to go back into the land and I need you to kick some butt for me. You'd be like, okay Lord, like, you might, you might check and see what Mike packed for lunch that day. But he did. Lord said, go in, go in, and take care of this. Now, Gideon is not much different than how I am in my own life. There's been multiple times I feel like the Lord has told me to do something. Not necessarily audibly. Not like, not like, hey, hey, Chris, I need you to do this. But I felt very strongly, whether it be through a dream or through a sense of peace, that the Lord has instructed me to do something. Now, given my type A controlling personality, if you say something, I'm coming off the stage because I see you smiling at me. I know my faults. Given my personality, the first thing I normally do is lay a fleece before the Lord. All right, Lord, if you really want me to do this, if you're really telling me to do this, then uh, you're going to have to make a way for this to happen. You're going to have to make it happen. I'm not going to do it. You do it. That's, that's my normal go-to. Not everybody's personality is that way. Some people are far more passive and trusting than, than I am. But my personality as a type A is, all right, I hear you. I got you. Now prove it. Yeah, because, you know, 
I really have something like, hey, God, like, why don't you prove something to me? Because you really need to prove something to me. Because I'm, I'm the lowest of the low in the world, but you're the highest of the high, but you need to prove something. Well, Gideon does the same thing. Gideon says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I am with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, because, you know, we've got to have that argument with God. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you who speaks to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. I will, and he said, I will stay until you return. It seems like a little passive aggressive text. He's like, well, show me that it's you, God. And don't you leave until I go get my present for you. I'm going to go get a present for you. And when I come back, I want you to show me that you're God. And you're not just some random concoction that's coming up in my mind from pounding out the wheat. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. I'm guessing this wasn't like a two-second process. I can't do this now when the store's already cut and processed all this food for me in a short period of time. So I'm guessing them being in a cave, this took just a little bit of time for him to get all that stuff put together. I don't have Melissa Musson's skills where I can just pop out a great meal like that. And I'm guessing Gideon himself took him a couple of minutes to go in, put this stuff together, put it in a basket, get it prepared for the Lord. Broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. The angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. A fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that this was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord's peace. Gideon tests the Lord. If we're all honest with ourselves, we test the Lord when the Lord tells us to do something or calls us to do something. But he hadn't even gotten any specific directions on what he was to do yet. Just that he was going to go take out the Midianite army that was impoverishing the whole entire company of Israelites. And right now the Lord said, well, you're the one who's going to do it. He didn't, at this point in time in the story, in this point in time in the conversation with the Lord, he hasn't even said, hey, look, you get 300 men to go with you. He hasn't laid out a battle plan. He's just said, look, you're going to go. And Gideon now knows the Lord told him to go. Well, then all of a sudden... We get into the altar of Baal. Now we all have altars of Baal in our life. We all make up our own altars. We all make up our own idols. We all have these things that we go to. We all have them. Well, the Israelites, once again, just like throughout Scripture, they have an altar that they have created to an other god other than Yahweh, other than to Adonai. And it says in uh, verse 28, when the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joshua, has done this thing. 
Then the men of the town said to Joash, not Joshua, sorry, bring out your son that he may die for his, he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. So Gideon went down, tore down the altar that wasn't to Elohim inside the Israelites' camp that they were already outside the land they were supposed to be in because it was so impoverished and they were enslaved to the Midianites. Their first thing was to build another altar. No different than Korah who when Moses goes up and he's gone for too long, well, let's build ourselves something because God isn't here, so let's build something for us. They built a golden calf. The Israelites at this period of time built an altar. Gideon went and destroyed that altar. His own townspeople, his own friends, woke up in the morning, saw that the altar was torn down, and they're like, who has done this? Who has done this? They wanted to kick his butt. They were mad. They were mad that he had torn down this altar. They were mad. Do we have altars in our lives and Gideons in our life that God has sent to us to have relationships with us so that they can help us tear down the altars that we've created that are not altars to the Lord? To remove idols from us that we have built up. Can anybody think of any time in your life that God has sent a Gideon type of person to you to make it known to you that in your life you've built an altar? You've built an idol. Have we reacted the same way that the Israelites reacted when they come to tell us that? Do we react in a way that says, oh my goodness, thank you. Thank you for coming and sharing something and showing something to me and caring enough about me to get me to change the way I approach my relationship with the Lord? Or is our first thought like, how dare you come in and attack me? How dare you come in and speak of something you know nothing about? That's not an altar. That's not a God. That's not an idol to me. How many of us are willing to be that person to our friends? How many of us live in fear that our relationship might change with somebody, might lose our job, we might lose our friendship, if we see a glaring weakness in our friend and we refuse to say anything about it? For those of you who were here last week, I had the, the privilege of doing the first five. And in talking about the first five, I actually made the statement that, that I feel like I'm dangerous because I don't fear that. I don't fear what somebody might say if I happen to step up and say something that I believe the Lord has told me to say. it, I don't have that, that human Western culture, political correctness or whatever you want to call it. And those who know me the best know that I got no filter. If I see something I don't like, I'm going to say it. If, I, if I'm really upset with something, I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to come and I'm going to speak to you about that. Because I'm not afraid that I might lose my relationship with you. I'm not afraid that somebody might think negatively about me. If God has told me to go do something, then I believe that I can't be stopped and there's no reason why I shouldn't go forward with everything I have. Now, thankfully, I have friends around me that the Lord has put who can speak into my life and say, hey, look, you can do the same exact thing. You just don't have to do it this way and you can get the same message across. So again, I'm still growing. I'm still learning. But Gideon goes in and tears down an altar. The people around him, the townspeople who are in hiding, they're frustrated and upset with that. They're not happy with that. 
However, there is a little bit of wisdom here because then they stand up and say, who will contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubiel, Baal, sorry, I don't even, is there an ish with that, Daniel? No? That is to say that let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amaleks and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet. There was some wisdom. Rather than them taking on a battle for somebody else, they're like, hey, look, if this is actually a god, if this is actually his altar that he has there, can he not defend himself? Can, can Baal not defend himself with his own altar being torn down? Let me ask you, is, is, is Yahweh capable of defending himself as well? If they had the wisdom about Baal, who we all believe in this place, Baal was not and was not a god above Yahweh. Can Yahweh defend himself as well? Can he? I believe he can. I absolutely believe he can. And sometimes when we get that spirit of Gideon, we get that spirit of we want to go out there and do things, sometimes we were not called by the angel of the Lord. We were called by ourselves, And we want to go out there and we want to defend the nature and the name of God. We want to defend the reputation of our God. But God maybe didn't instruct us to do so. Maybe that wasn't our calling. Maybe that wasn't our plan at that point, his plan at that point in time. There's multiple things we have to take into account in the story of Gideon. First off, it has to be when God calls. You can have the right intentions to do the right things. I can see something in somebody's life and I can have the right intentions to say, this is really hurting you. But if God hasn't called me to go answer to that, and God has called, if God, God's called Daniel, because the three of us work together, and when something comes up, we'll talk about a lot of things. We're like, how would you like to handle this? Sometimes they're like, well, Chris, it's probably better if you go handle this and take care of it. Sometimes it's, Ephraim, I think this is better suited for you or for Daniel. And we'll pray about it, and we'll talk about it, and we'll think, okay, so we know we're supposed to go do something, but who is God calling to go take care of that situation? And it is by using wisdom, discernment, and prayer that we can either get it right or we can get it wrong. The intentions of all three of us may be God has told us to go do something, but the way we execute it might be wrong. It separates from when we're operating in the Spirit, like it said right there. The Spirit fell on Gideon, he blew a trumpet. Gideon operating in the Spirit and Gideon operating in Gideon's flesh. When you're operating in the Spirit, you're being guided by the Spirit to do what the Lord has commanded you to do. When you're operating in your flesh, you're being guided by yourself to do what you think you should do. Lots of times, very rarely have I ever seen where the two are actually working together. Normally the flesh is working against God. The Spirit of the Lord is asking us to do something and the flesh is trying to tell us why we don't need to do it. So once again, even after this whole entire situation, even after Gideon has brought out an offering to the Lord, even after Gideon has tore down the altar and he is still there, they didn't come after him, they didn't attack him, they didn't take him down, they didn't kill him. Even then, 
He wants to lay out another fleece for the Lord. This is a multi-step process. He wants to lay out another fleece for the Lord, fleece for the Lord, before he is sent to go take care of the Midianites. I'm going to lay out something on the ground, and if there, if it's wet from the dew in the morning, but everything around it is dry. Very complex things that only the Lord could do. I want you to light this one little area on fire while the rest of the room has no smoke. I want you to, uh, I want you to make one single line of rain fall while the rest is sunshine. Things that Gideon, he knows that there's no way that a man could do it. A human can't do these things. He lays it out before the Lord. And once again, the Lord delivers. The Lord didn't change his mind. Just like we see in the story of Jonah, the Lord didn't change his mind. The Lord called Gideon, the Lord was going to use Gideon, and the Lord was not backing down on what he wanted. So Gideon... Gideon goes out and he, like like a good good Chris Frankie type of character. Gideon goes out and ru- gets all his boys together. Any boy he could find. I mean he got some Stephen Drews up there with those arms all like bulging out. He's got he's got some Chris Frankies whose belly is the only thing that's bulging, but he went and got the best of the best. He got the best of the best he could find, as many men as he can, and he's preparing for battle. All right, Lord, if you're going to send me down there and I'm going to do this, we're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to rumble. We're going to take this to him. And God comes to him and says, "You got too many men. You got too many men. What are you doing?" So you're going to take that many men down into the camp. Here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to defeat them, and then you're going to stand around drinking some wine, eating some wheat, the unleavened cakes. You're going to be rejoicing about how awesome and powerful you are. No different than us today. We get proud of ourselves for what we can accomplish with our own hands. And some of us, we push ourselves. We'll push ourselves hard. So if we think we can do something, we'll set the goal even higher and try to obtain it. But we can obtain that by our own hands. He says, no, you're only going to take 300 men. Send all the rest of them back. And he actually lays it out. So they stop, they drink, and how he chooses what men are going to go with Gideon is based upon how they drink from the water when they stop. There's two different types of men in the army. When they stopped, they dropped their swords, their shields, both hands, they gulped the water. They were all in. All in to get in that water. There was other men who just went down with one hand and scooped it up and kept going. And God said, I want the men who scooped it up with one hand. That's who your army is. That's who's going to go with you. The ones who are about business, the ones who are about the plan, the ones who are about the execution, the ones who are willing to keep going, not the ones who are going to sit there and tell you it's okay to take a day off today. It's okay to step down from that today. Oh, don't worry about it. We can deal with it tomorrow. He wanted the ones who were willing to keep going. And that's what they did. They kept going. He sent the other ones home. And then they surrounded the camp of the Midianites. And at the signal, they began to blow their trumpets. They began to hold up their torches. They began to shatter their lanterns. 
And that overwhelmed the Midianites, and they ran away. They ran away. So God went, chose a young guy who was kind of hiding out in the caves, who had no interest in being the savior of the Israelites. He called him. He gave him what he needed so that he would feel secure that God was actually talking to him. He played his game of, are you really God? He played that game. Then he gave him the mighty ones. Because the ones who just reached down and kept going, most likely those are the guys who are all business. They were the ones who kept their guard up. Because, yeah, I got to get a drink, but I'm not going to drop my sword. I'm not going to put myself... They were the good warriors. Wanted to keep going. He gave them the good warriors. I believe they were the good warriors. And they didn't have to fight a thing. Just like Jericho. Just like it says, the trump will sound and the Lord shall return. There is an audible frequency, I believe, as a, as a worship leader. And I don't know what it is. I, I've, I've read some studies of some people. Some people devoted their life to the frequencies of music and, and how there's specific things from the Psalms. Uh, take it or leave it. There's no way to confirm that that's the case. But I honestly believe that there is a frequency in hearing the audible voice of God. That's unlike anything that we've ever heard before. And I believe in my heart that the amount of times a trumpet is used in Scripture to dismay the enemies of God, the ones who do not know God's voice, the ones who are not listening for God's voice, I believe that there is something in that frequency of a trumpet also very similar to a shofar. If you've heard a shofar and a trumpet played side by side, they're very similar frequencies. And there's something innate in our body, frequency-wise, that lets us know that God is talking to us. And I believe that the Midianites, when they blew those trumpets, and they held up that fire, and they surrounded it, I believe they, they knew who was coming for them. They knew God was coming for them. Not Baal, not the giants, not the Nephilim, that the Elohim of Israel, the one they had heard about, who brought the Israelites out of slavery, who annihilated the largest, most richest, and wealthy and powerful country of that time, Egypt, their God was coming for them. He was coming for them. And they ran. They ran. How many of us in this room have the faith To walk out on something like that. Say, God, I'm, I'm with you. I'm in the trenches. How many of us to people who, who are tearing apart our land and stealing all of our stuff and all this stuff, none of us are in that type of treachery right now. But we all got problems. Some of us got debt through our eyeballs, so we're, we're slaves to the banks. Some of us got problems in our marriages, in our relationships, in our homes. Some of us got problems with addiction. Some of us got problems all over the place 
that have us running in caves. Are you going to answer the call of God? Are you going to trust God to go out and fight the battle for you? And maybe all he asks you to do is raise your hands or to blow, blow a trumpet or, or to pray? Are you going to trust God in your life? Because if you don't trust God and you don't fear God, then you fear what's going on in your life. See, I'm 37 years old and I like to think that I got a lot of stuff together in my life. And yet it seems that every month the Lord shows my wife and I different areas of our lives that we think we have together, but we haven't fully given over to the Lord. Whether that be financial health, whether that be uh, our spiritual health, whether that be the practices in our homes for Shabbats, or some of them are small, some of them are bigger. And we're constantly asking ourselves right now, have we truly given that battle over to the Lord and we're willing to do whatever the Lord has told us to do? Because some of the things my wife has brought to me over the last couple of months, I'll be honest, I don't think we can do. I don't think we can make that happen. I don't know how we will. And she'll come back, she's like, oh, I have faith that we can. I have faith that we can. We can make this adjustment. It's like, all right, well then, I'm riding with you. Let's, let's see what happens. And so far, it's been widely successful in areas that we didn't, we didn't even think we had problems in. And according to the, our culture right now, we definitely didn't have problems in them. Nobody's trying to come and take my home or take my children or I'm not hiking it to work. Nothing like that. But we haven't fully given over certain areas of our life to God. And it doesn't mean that God hasn't called you. In fact, I would venture to believe that with given the culture we currently have and how we operate in this world and the, the slaves that we do become to, to our jobs and to these various different situations, I would believe there's a lot of places where God is calling you to be just like Gideon. To trust Him to tear down the altars that you've built, whether that's the altars of money or the altars of, of your physical appearance or whatever it is, television, whatever it is, toys, I don't know. Everybody's different. To tear down those altars and go and seek God in those areas. And normally when you say that's not possible, it's not going to happen, normally I believe that's when God's going to step in and he's going to say, oh, it's absolutely possible. The problem is you don't want to make it happen. We're in the midst of the spring feast and the fall feast. This is normally a time where a lot of people kind of get just kind of like, hey, I'm just going to plateau out. I'm going to coast into the fall feast. Right before Yom Teruah, we'll kind of wake up a little bit. We'll kind of get a little bit excited because Tabernacles is around the corner. And, oh, man, I forgot i got to get through that fasting day of Yom Kippur and that, that day of prayer. Every year we have a cycle of feasts. I believe there's a reason why the spring feasts were done the way they are. I believe there's a reason why the fall feasts are done the way they are. And I believe there's a reason why there's a period of time in between them. 
And I believe the period of time in between the feasts are a time when God is calling you to really search your heart, really search your walk, really search your life. And make the commitment to continue on with God, not with yourself. The fall feasts are all about the returning of the Lord. They're all about the kingdom to come. They're all about Yeshua's return to this earth and the establishment of his kingdom again. Right now, we're wandering around. Some of us are slaves and in captivity to things that have happened to us in our life, things we bad choices we've made. And if you think we're going to be able to walk into the coming of the Lord, into the day of judgment, and then sit at his table without dealing with those, you're just, you're just not. You're fooling yourself. Today, I hope that this will be a wake-up call to you to understand that God has called you to take control over your life and put him at the head of your life. And if he's at the head of your life, he should be at the head of your financial plans. He should be at the head of your relationship plans. He should be the head of your your social plans. He should be the head. He should be the one that's out in front. He should be the marker. Some of us have him there in certain areas and some of us refuse to allow him to be there in others. My question to you today is, is he calling you and are you still trying to hide in the caves? Because if you are, you will miss the blessing of walking around the thing that has you controlled and watching God crumble it before your very eyes. Whether that be physical ailments, financial ailments, relationship ailments, whatever. You'll miss the blessing and the joy to be able to stand and watch God do something that He said He was going to do for you because you have refused to show up to watch Him do it. I'm going to go all the way back. Some of us are talented bookkeepers. Some of us are talented musicians. Some of us are talented at actually being nice. Stop relying on your talent and start relying upon the anointing that God has given you as the leader of your home to tackle the issues in your home, in your spiritual walk, in your community, in your relationships and watch God take down your enemy. Watch God take down your oppressor. Status quo is no longer okay. It's just not. I don't like caves. That's why I camp in an RV. So I'm encouraging you, don't continue to hide in your cave. Don't continue to fear what's in front of you. Tackle it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Shabbat. We thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship you. Father, we thank you for your continued blessing to have a facility to come and meet. Father, we thank you for Timber Creek and the leadership in the congregation that's there. And uh, just all the blessings you're pouring out on them as well, Father. We get to reap the benefits of that and the, the wonderful things that they're doing in this facility. Father, we just continue to pray blessings upon them. And uh, we thank you for our relationship with them, Father. 
Father, I thank you for each and every person that's here with us today, whether they be online or whether they be here in person. And Father, don't allow us to stay in the same place. Father, don't allow us to miss the blessing of what you are trying to pour out in each and every one of our lives, Father. Father, I believe that your coming is sooner rather than later. And Father, I don't fear your coming. I fear those who will miss it. Father, I fear those who don't get to experience the same blessings that I get to experience. Because I know you're great. And I know you want greatness for them, Father. Father, just because we know of Yeshua and we now know about your feasts and your Torah, Father, don't, don't let us stop here. Don't let us stop here, Father. Continue through the power of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, to show us, to guide us, and to mold us into the believers that you would have for us, Father. That we wouldn't build our own calves, that we wouldn't build altars to other gods, Father, but that we would have faith that when you come and speak to us, that we would know it's you and we would be willing to go. That we would circle whatever whatever adversary we may have, Father, whatever, whatever roadblock, obstacle we may have, that we may circle it, Father, knowing that you have the ability and you are going to lead us through that. That we may testify with our lives, with our actions and with our words, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob reigns. That Yeshua, the Messiah, is alive and living. When you call, Father, I want to listen and I want to go. So we praise you in this place and we thank you for all that you've done. In the name of Yeshua. Amen and Amen. Ephraim? We could all rise, please. And the Lord has spoken to Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom.